Hello and welcome to part two of a special House of Hanno podcast called Do It Right. We're going to interview someone very close to me who has taught me a lot about finding personal strength, and I think you all can learn from him too. So let's proceed and enjoy. Joining us now in the House of Hanno is somebody who I can easily say that I looked up to growing up. This is somebody that was almost like a fourth Hanno brother. He was around our house and around us so much and so often. This is somebody that we all took pieces of as far as learning to be cool growing up. And when we were talking about doing an episode and talking about finding personal strength, this is probably the first person I would ever think of in that regard because... He is one of the strongest people I know, if not the, and I've seen him come up and just do amazing things. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the House of Hanno, Danny Masher. Woo! Thanks for coming on, Danny. Hola. Thanks for having me. Danny's my cousin. Um, like I said, he's almost the fourth Hanno brother, but he is our cousin. His mom is my dad's sister, and... I don't want to put words in your mouth, Danny, but you didn't have an easy childhood by any means, and I just, kind of in your words, describe how you feel you grew up and how it shaped your life and you as an adult. Well, so, uh, okay, here's the thing. My take on this is, Pretty much everybody has their own issues growing up, no matter what, right? Like, you could have both parents solidified, financially good, and you still got all kinds of stuff, whether it's pressures about grades and going to college and whatnot. Right. So, or, let me turn the page a little bit, you know, it could be something not quite as the norm where, you know, you're not in a house, you are raised in tight quarters, a trailer court in the country, Right. Right. Um, but you still have the love of the parents. And stuff. So for me, um, mom and dad divorced basically when I was born. Well, not when I was born. I should go back. I think I was like two or three. I think is what they said. Um, so for the most part, mom raised me. Um, things were okay. We moved. I mean, they were good. Me and my mom had a really good relationship person to person. She just lacked heavily on responsibilities um, as far as working and taking care of the bills. So welfare from as far back as I can remember. Um, for the most part, we grew up in Milwaukee, raised in Milwaukee, in her, and then uh, sometime in Southeast. So things got pretty gnarly probably about my fifth grade year when dad decided they were going to try to work things out. And which I knew was going to not work, but even at the age of about nine, um, but I didn't know the reasons why, but I found out was, so we moved to Southeast Portland, 85th and Duke is where my dad lived, um, right down the road from the outsiders bike club. Right. And cool for about the first month, my dad was a long haul truck driver. Um, and then things started getting really weird, like strangers coming in throughout the house and, you know, they were both aware of who these cats were. I, I wasn't. Um, and that's basically when I learned about drugs. You know, you'd see it back then, say no to drugs and all that. But there was heavy, basically, they were got heavy deep into some um, methamphetamines, heroin, and who knows what else. 
Um, and my mom was probably worse than my dad because my dad was so functioned, you know, by working and whatnot. But, and I don't want to turn it into a woe is me thing, but some of the things that I remember that stick out in my head is, you know, trying to do the normal thing like doing your chores, but you take out the trash and you're seeing needles and asking what that's about. But, you know, not really, oh, somebody must have left that there. Um, or stuff just periodically starts showing up missing. And, you know, the stereo, the nice stereo that my dad had or whatever else, some other, you know, color TV back then, whatever was a big deal. Um, and, well, everybody seems to be tripping over these cords, knocking them over, and they're all at the repair shop or at the, realistically at the pawn shop. So that's kind of how where, you know, for people who know me and and who knew me growing up was like, man, Danny's a really funny, nice kid. But at some point, he got a real chip on his shoulder, and that's about when it hit. So, yeah, um, and and you know, growing up, I can say you know, my dad was an alcoholic. Um, that was his struggle. He battled with it, and we could feel a difference going to the, wherever Danny was living. Um, a lot of small apartments, a lot of small duplexes, and this and that. But there was always definitely a different feel going to your house. Um, and it's hard to describe, but you could just tell, you know, it just, the whole place kind of felt asleep a lot of the time, you know? Well, that's, yeah, that was probably when you were over when they were in their heroin phase, when they're in their speed phase, it felt more like everybody would never sleep. <laughs> yeah. And, and I did, I guess we didn't see a lot I mean, of that, but no, but, you know when that was Jared and you wouldn't really remember it, but remember when, um, and I'm just going to throw out a personal memory, but remember when, um, Shane bit through his tongue. Right. That time, that was that time was when they were all messed out and all that shit. Man. Um, so, you know, things start disappearing, random people coming in, you know, me and a kid who was a drug dealer's friend, uh, son was sitting there and people start dropping patch pouches of white powder and whatnot. So it's like, kind of like, man, it was a quick learning thing. It, really, it felt like it. I lived in that house for about five to ten years, and I think it was really only like two years. And this was what, late 80s? Early, <laughs> so it's like, mid to late 80s? Like 86, 87. Okay. So I was about 10. Um, I'll share another little deal here quick, you know, just for an example. I mean, it was so weird because at first when we moved in, we had everything there. My dad used to, for people who know my dad, you know, they know him as the quirky, kind of quiet truck driver guy. But at one point, my dad was like amateur boxer, amateur drummer. Um, I hear the tales. My 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 dad tells us. That. I don't think I ever knew that. You actually. know, one thing my dad always told me is he said, you know, Ron back in the day when he met Ron, he had a nice apartment. He had all the top of the line stereo equipment. Everything was tight, you know, and and made him really sound like he had it together. And no, your dad. Your dad laid it out there the best um, when he said he described him as the guy with the most potential, but just let it go away. And that's not to disparage my dad. It's just when you knew my dad, you know, when as we're nearing adulthood or whatever. Like I was explaining this the other day. You know, he passed away, and we were cleaning out his stuff, and it's it's just kind of weird because I remember his house. And he had, you know, a wall of tools that were outlined in chalk. So everything had its place. Right. He had a motor motorcycle, you know, the nice um, Oldsmobile long. You know, he was always into the longer kind of almost low rider deals. Um, 
so you know seeing seeing that whole thing go from that to like nothing and he just never recovered on that and pridefully put him you know there was a time where he was out of town and for months this kind of happened we my mom and i were going over to some drug dealer's house out off of Powell, and we went there consistently and then there was like one night he the dude was weird he'd like padlock his front door crawl through the crawl space and then let you in with a you know the key and the padlock and whatnot and then he's got his whole meth lab down right below in the crawl space basically and at that point, I was like, Mom, what is this guy doing? And she's like, he's a scientist. And so I never want <laughs> That moment on, I was like, I never want to learn science ever again. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if this maybe had anything to do with that person or whatever, but I do remember one night we were with your mom, and we were over off like 11th and Southeast Powell, heading yeah. somewhere in that area, and her car broke down. And we sat for probably 30 minutes in a dark spot off of 11th and Powell. And at that age, I was, you know, eight or nine. And I that was so scary. <laughs> but well, so That probably was around. I mean, there was a lot of things going on there at that time. But what ended up happening was we didn't show up there for like two weeks. And then I came home from school one day. And uh, I just didn't like going over there because I just knew we shouldn't be there. And my dad, you know, obviously there's a conflict there. And, um, so anyway, we go for like two weeks without going there and I come home from school one day and my mom's like crying, like all kind of just tweaked out, like what the hell in shock. And I'm like, what's going on? And the guy's name was Danny. And she's like, Danny's dead. And I'm like, well, what happened? And she's like, he was found beat to death and stuffed in the closet. And so Jeez. he ripped off some dip gypsy jokers, which is never a good idea. Yeah, um, for those who don't know, Gypsy Jokers is a notorious drug-related biker gang up here in the Northwest, and mostly criminals yeah, they, and drug, you know. Well, they don't fuck around. So yeah. Um, so, but it's weird too because at that point I was like, "Where's like a ten-year-old should be sad?" I was like really glad that that happened because I knew we weren't going back there. So beyond that, as we go on, um, we moved back to Milwaukee after my mom and dad. That whole thing just shattered. They still were kind of friends down the road, and then they became close friends. Um, and then he moved back in with us when we moved back into Milwaukee about 89 and then, or 88. And then that's about the time Jess came along. But, it, you know, in the midst of all this, we kept moving. We stayed in the homeless shelter. My dad lost his job as a driver for drugs. And Jess, real quick, Jess is yeah. Dan's younger sister who was born in, what, 90? No, 89. 89. Wow. Wow, so, I can't believe she's 89. Yeah, she came up quick. And um, so she was born. And, you know, look, we all talked about it. You know, she's the blessing that nobody anticipated, especially during that time. And um, she just came along. It was pretty cool. So that was like, you know, the first time that I remember ever really praying because it looked like she was going to die. And so from there on, like every night I've prayed or if I fall asleep that I do the next day. So a little like bit when of, she was born, did she have problems when she was born or when your mom was pregnant? Yeah, she was. So my mom was on drugs. As soon as she found out that she was pregnant, she got on the methadone clinic. That's where the methadone came into play. Um, and, you know, after that, um, she was premature. I can't remember by how much, not a lot, but. She, they thought that her heart rate was dropping heavy, and they thought that um, things were happening 
for whatever reason. And then they did an emergency C-section and they ended up pulling around. But I had always wanted a sibling, which is probably why I was always so tight with you guys. Um, Jared, but and, um, then, and honestly, I we all saw it immediately when Jess was born. Danny was immediately the most protective, the most loyal brother. Like there was nothing that was ever going to get in his way or, or harm her. Like, and that was she was she was a blessing. She came along in kind of a turbulent time, and you know, she was it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And so. She, um, you know, once we, then we ended up getting evicted again for the umpteenth time. So we moved into this shelter down in Milwaukee, Annie Ross shelter, stayed there for like a summer. And so back then Milwaukee was kind of funny because it was pretty much all white people who are rich, like not, I don't want to say rich, but just well, decent, well-off families at the time. It felt like they were rich cause they all had Jordans and like Quicksilver and all <laughs> compared to us. They were rich. <laughs> Tommy knows about this, but the you know you go from the Air Jordans to the Air Jordashes or the XJ nine hundred. Right. So Tommy, you know, without speaking on his business, his you know uh, that's why we're so tight. Is he he, he and my situation really par- like paralleled each other? Um, single mom, some of the responsibilities might have lacked. No knocking on anybody, but um, you know, so we just kind of gelled like that, and it worked out, and that's how we were. Yeah, but, it, it, but. it's it, and and I guess fast forward now all that um, we all grew up and we all made such good with what we had and I just want to tell everybody how amazing I mean Danny you have now grown up and gone to the Super Bowl. You have pretty much gone and done everything you set out to do. You have an amazing family. He has a wife, Katrina. He has a daughter, Maddie. A dog, Buster. They just built a beautiful house in Arizona. Um, I didn't build shit. I didn't even do it. You You paid for it. You paid for it to be done. That counts. All right. (laughs) But but in spite of all that. Worked his way up at his job and and we saw it and i'll I'll say you know my brothers and i like i said we lived in a single wide trailer out in sandy oregon which is country cold forest area danny would come out and stay with us and hang with us and he kind of looked at us like we had something because we had food in the fridge and we had you know some clothes and whatnot and some toys and all that stuff and it it humbled us. I, I think at least me. It humbled me to go, hey, it ain't that bad right now. We don't have it that bad. And I don't know. Like I, that's that's always the weird thing is I don't ever want to say like, oh, my poor cousin Danny, because I think that would insult you, and I think you'd never want me to say that, or nor would you want anybody to say that. Yeah, no. Like my biggest thing, and and you know, I appreciate the kind words. I really like do, but um, you know, I remember grandma. When Hector Campbell shut down, you know, I don't even know, it was like 15 years ago, and I, they had all the teachers, and like my first grade teacher was there, and she remembered me, because I was a little, like, I don't know, I was noticeable as a kid, um, but attention whore is what I was, and still, <laughs> like, it is, it is, I'll just call it what it is, but, but anyway, so I see her, and 
grandma dive bombs in and she's like, oh, Dan, he's done so great. He's such a success story. And I'm like, a success story? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm not in like Forbes or like, what are you talking? So to me, it's like this. I mean, I guess my my goals and success was really honestly to not have to have my child do their homework in candlelight because electricity got shut off and not have to be like making, you know, I used to have the old kind of recipe of like Parmesan toast because there's just nothing else. And Jared, you know about this. We oh. might. We the, the, the barbecue, dogs. the barbecue sauce on Carl Buddig, like the the lunch meat, the little pre-packed lunch oh, meat yeah. you buy, barbecue sauce on that on a piece of bread, and that was your sandwich. Danny was, was creative. So, so to me, my that my is kind of pack a lot of yo, flavor for hey, not having a lot. Do you remember? Do you remember sitting huddled over the counter in your Sandy at Sandy Boulevard apartment with literally like a nine-inch black and white TV? playing NHL hockey on Sega Genesis on like legit, like a nine inch TV that was black and white, but we were in there and those are, it's weird how you can kind of forget where you are and say, Hey man, we're just hanging out and it's cool right now. Like it. So there was, you know, I don't want to put it all as it was the biggest struggle in life. I mean, there were tough times, but there was also good times. My mom was really good caring mom and anytime i come home from school she'd be like and which i think this is really important is just to sit and go tell me about school how was it how right. all right even if she was goofed up whatever i mean there was times definitely where she was messed up and i'm like i'm not even talking to you now right now because i want to kill you but- and I'll, I'll back that like anybody i think that knew your mom could acknowledge yeah she's definitely got some problems but right. Everybody that also knew her knew she was so sweet. She cared. She was like, she, you know, she was interested in what you had to say. And man, I remember driving with her home from the beach one time and just having like this real direct conversation that you can't really have with a lot of family members, you know, because you're afraid maybe you'll make somebody mad. But it was never that with your mom. It was always truth. She spoke direct. But she was really sweet and she was smart. And she I remember she used to take those pictures that were black and white that had the fuzz like they were fuzzy black and white. And I then like you'd the col- velvet ones, the yeah. velvet. Yeah, you'd color them in with the markers and she oh, would man. do she would do those and have those hung up and stuff. So, you know, it. she wasn't always what she seemed, I guess. Well, and I have to say ever from the time I met you, which I don't know necessarily in her life what she might have been doing or not doing, but. She was always the one that I gravitated to sitting next to because she was always funny. She always wanted to spill the tea, and I was always all ears to hear anything she wanted to say about anybody in the room. And we just always had a good time. I love talking to your mom. <laughs> it's like this. It was like it was like when we were listening to your lynch mob tape, and one of the lyrics said, "I reached in my pocket and grabbed a twenty dollar bill and said, go buy your mother effing kids a happy meal.'" Oh yeah. And that really pissed her off because she just thought like. Well, why are you saying go buy your mother effing kids a Happy Meal and then speaking like you got such high class? You know, like, she, oh, yeah. and she was so real like that. So I appreciated that. And that's why, you know, let's not make this all just about Danny's childhood was bad and blah, blah, blah. I wanted yeah. to make sure and speak on no, that, but too. I think she is my I, yeah. aunt and I loved her and she was so fun in that, you know, in but some But I way. think something that sets you apart. I mean, there's a lot of people you see grow up with a childhood like yours 
and they use their childhood like a crutch and it's kind of this like circle you know they talk about like generational poverty or generational wealth or whatever so to me it's like what do you think helped you like stop that cycle honestly and wanted to change it so this is i i one thing i do feel like and i've said this and i'm not trying to get personal on uh, people directly all but i'll say this i think one thing that benefited me is I never had the pressure from my dad to succeed in the sense of, you know, we were, I don't, we were, I'm not going to sit here and play like super tight close. There were times where we were good. And I actually, probably after my mom passed away, my dad and I became closer than we had been in years. Right. But, you know, I know people who have their dads in their lives who really the pressure of, I don't know what they, it's this weird thing. They have to like meet their dad's standards. I'm like, nah, dude, you like exceeded your dad. Like, what are you talking about? You know? So for me, there was never really that pressure of that, but also honestly, I'm the type of dude to, even when I was younger to sit back and just kind of watch the room and look around. And so I'm sitting there going, what's the key thing that's really screwing this all up, which is, um, drugs, you know? So, um, but for me, it was always, I'm, I'm telling you, then go back to that whole success story. Like I talked to Barry about this and I was like, you know, I was like kind of what success, whatever. For me, I just wanted to make sure I had food in the fridge. And, and, and there was other things like there was people, you know, with cable back then. And to me, I'm like, well, how come they got this? And I don't. Right. And so, so for me, it, it sounds goofy when I, you know, you just stated, you know, the whole, you know, you, you built the house or whatever. You go into the Super Bowl. That Super Bowl was cool. Stupidest financial move I've ever fucking done. <laughs> like, once once it, in a lifetime and your wallet will never forget. <laughs> no, I, I just paid the fucking thing off. It's been like almost two years. So. <laughs> nice. So by no means was that like a Danny's rolling in the dough. It was just a, well, shit, this thing lined up about accordingly. So even, I mean. If Trina hadn't given the blessing, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to, don't get me wrong, but I was like, man, this is the most retarded shit I've ever done. Well, but anyway, it was cool. But to me, success, all I ever wanted was to feel comfort, stabilized in a, in a home. You know, we joked about this, but there's some truth to it that well, I told somebody from Milwaukee the other day. They were like, where'd you live in Milwaukee? I was like, basically, the ongoing joke is we live, we covered every president road in in milwaukee and then um, and then you know so i just wanted stability for myself i've always loved women <laughs> in, the sense, in the sense of women's company so i knew i was going to want to be married and have a family um you know obviously you're raised around nothing but women whether it was your guys's mom um judy my mom grandma so I had a perspective of that. So certain things, there's other things that carried over with that as far as, you know, well, why do you work out? Are you trying to be buff? No, I'd sit back and watch like our parents, our dads say some shitty ass things about their wives getting out of shape or whatever. And I'm like, well, what are you guys doing? So for me, <laughs> with a big old gut hanging off, so talking right. about her out of shape with a big gut no, hanging off like, your chest. I remember clearly, you know, without naming names, but you could probably figure it out, but you know, on our side, males, my dad included, saying, God, I remember when she was da-da-da-da-da. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell are you? And at least these <laughs> popped out kids. So to me, 
like I've talked to Trina about this, you know, I'm like, I just want it. I'm not ever going to be ripped or whatever. Like we once were at 23, but I also don't want to just be that guy who mails it in and is like, well, we're married. So now you're stuck with this shit. Um, <laughs> but I like what you said. I like what you said about you just wanted to have food on the table. You just wanted to have shelter over your head. And that should probably be a good lesson. That's something we could all probably take is like, if I just get the foundation built, then I can maybe follow up and with the, the rest, rest of the come. thing. The yeah. rest will come. I just need the foundation to be there, you know? And Jared, you know this one, you know, when me and Trina started legit, when we bought our house in Vancouver, I mean, we had like $1,200 in the bank. And I, I've seen it all. I, I lived, for those that don't know, I lived with Danny for, what was it, just under a year? It was probably less no, than a year, right? It was, I think it was about six months. Yeah, we, we didn't live together long, but it felt like a while, but it was cool. Who'd have ever thought we'd be good roommates because we are different in a lot of ways. But, <laughs> man, we, we had a lot of fun living in that apartment together. But I've seen Danny's progression all the way. I've seen you go from the bachelor apartment. I remember when you went out and bought your first truck at a dealership. We gave right. you shit about it because it had standard manual windows and all that. And I, <laughs> looking back, I remember you being so defensive and me and like Gus giving you shit. But now I go, man, that was a truck payment. None of us could have made that. Who the hell were we to say yeah. anything? <laughs> well, Doc, hey, when I went in there, and this is still true, he was like, what do you want in that truck? And he starts banging off all this stuff. I go, bro, all I want. I said, all I want is a good heater, AC, and a C player if you could throw that in and honest to god <laughs> nowadays that's the truck i'd go buy because i hate all the extra stuff they put on the cars i it's all to me just things that can break and they can pay you to or you can pay them to go fix you know yeah no no doubt so now that's the truck i'd go buy but that's my point is i've seen dan's full progression i've seen him go all the way remember when you bought your house remember when you found out you were right. going to be a dad and it's been very cool to just sit and go man there it is again. There's that example. And there's other people in my life that are like this. Uh, Derek, Dude, you know, Pete up T, Derek Thacker. Yeah, absolutely. He and is, I watch. Yeah, all, go ahead. All you guys, you guys, I, the thing is, while, while you're saying you're watching, you know, me and others, I'm like, I watch you guys. I, like, honestly, when you guys, I'll tell you straight up, and you know this, but when we bought our house in Vancouver, it was right at the tip of the market in like 06. So we get into a nice, it was a good enough house. It was great. And I love it still to this day because it was the foundation of our family. But, um, but you look, man, it was like, you know, all done up old people style. We overpaid because the market was so high. And then the market, and we, I remember me and Trina talking, go, man, I feel bad. Like, I don't think anybody we know is going to be able to get into a house. And then, lo and behold, like, here goes you guys into a the nice. The market crashes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. I love that place. I was like, shit. Here's, here's a fun one so so we made the the first time we made an offer on a house we went out and looked and it it took 55 houses before we landed on the one we bought we looked wow. at 55 houses before that and i remember we put in an offer on a house on clackamas and i go into work the next day and immediately i'm told hey man we're going out of business and <laughs> and i thought what and it was when the government forced chrysler to shut down 600 of their dealerships nationwide we were one of them and boom here i had just made an offer on our first house to buy and i find out i'm losing a job basically but 
we hung on. We kind of hung around. I ended up keeping my job long enough to transfer to a different place in Wilsonville. And we did buy a house. And we did start a family. And it was not always easy, but we those baby steps, you know. And that's, right. that's a, a lesson I think a lot of young people need to learn is you're not just going to take this big leap and just get there. It's you're going to look gonna back. land on your dream house mansion, your first house, your first thing right. you buy or whatever. And you're going to do this grind and you're going to look back 25 years from now and go, holy cow, that went by quick. But yeah. at the time, you're going to be in the mud and you're going to be in there, you know, shoot, it's we just took a hike in Savi Island. And we walked through probably 300 yards of the thickest mud you've ever seen, just trenching through this stuff. And that's kind of what it is. You, you got to face it and you got to go, man, I'm going to have to wake up and I'm going to have to get up and go to work every day now and do this. And that's what it takes. And it's hard. And I myself have struggled with getting up and doing that for years on end and the monotony of it all. But that's what it takes. Foundation. And I will say, Danny, I feel like you're one of the hardest working people as far as like when we hear what shifts you're working or whatever your I, hours are, your days, it's like insane. Danny hours. will work whenever, wherever. Is I needed. just work 2 a.m. until yeah. 3 p.m. And then I got to be back there at four for another shift <laughs> that goes till seven. Yeah, I, yeah, that ain't nothing but stupidity. And just, I don't. So, hey, man, we we made up a couple questions that we wanted to throw at you. Thank you for yeah. the time. We appreciate it. I know you're probably yeah. tired. No, I'm good. I'm just, sorry, long-winded, and if I ramble, that is It's a great story. I, it's great all story. good. So one of the first ones we thought up was, if there's anything you could go back and tell young Danny Masher, what would you tell him? Uh, relax. Life will get better. And then things kind of suck sometimes, but, you know, obviously with the death. But, um, you know, it, and try to, I don't know, I try to stay happy about stuff and not have such a, a – chip on your shoulder but i don't i don't know it's how you go and that's how you end up maybe um, that maybe that chip is why you are where you are no exactly mm -hmm. yeah that's the one thing you know i it's cliche but you're like would you change anything i'm like nah but um you know i also am the same type of thing where we were talking about the other day reincarnation type stuff and i'm like you know i'm kind of a believer that we've already done all this stuff over and over and I kind of am cool with not doing it again, I guess. But, <laughs> but yeah, I'd just be like, man, just chill, do your course. Cool. So. Yeah, stay All the right. course. That's a good one. Um, who were your role models growing up, whether it be like a celebrity person you looked up to, a real-life person, a teacher, anybody like that? Was there anybody that sticks out? Yeah, so my <laughs> – probably like Hulk Hogan or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dynamite I mean, kid. Like, who knows me knows I like grew up loving pro wrestling. Part of it, the history on that, I'll just say, is one time I was really sick with the flu. My mom turned on the TV when I was like four, and who popped on, and I'll never forget it because it was on that small black and white TV, was uh, Rip Oliver, the Dynamite Kid, the Assassin. And it just kind of entranced me watching their eyes from there. You know, they're doing an interview where we didn't even have the sound on, but the way they were looking at the camera was almost like, what the heck? So always, you know, um, I don't know, man, like, you know, from the wrestling side, Dynamite Kid. But, again, there was people who really influenced me and, and helped me see it good, you know, whether it was um, Keith and Terry helping out. Obviously, my grandma was there. 
Um, and then even, you know, distant relatives, I'll always hold like Mark and Karen tender and deep in my heart just because, you know, they did a lot of stuff they didn't have to. So, and that not just for us, but other kids too, and other people. And before it was really cool to say black lives matter, they were letting black people, you know, with issues into their house to live with them just based off of seeing the goodness. So they're great people. Nice. Nice. Um, I've always thought of you, like I said, I, I think you are so, in a lot of ways, fearless. What does scare you? Failing and running out of money. You know what scares me, Jared? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm for real, man. And, and it's not even like a, I'm scared to be broke again, honestly. It's just that I don't want to be ever... This is probably something that I learned from watching people. It is. I mean, no doubt. But um, from experiences is you see too many people get a lot of money and they just blow right through it, whether it's drugs, whether it's a good time. Man, again, I don't want to sound like I'm coming down on people, but it's just stuff that I learned that I just want to do better at, but I still always keep it in my head. You know what I was saying about the Super Bowl ticket is the stupidest thing ever. Uh, it keeps in my head, although Grandma absolutely loved taking us all on the trip to Disneyland and stuff back in the day. And Barry will joke about, you know, the inheritance was lost on the second trip when we took Tommy down there and the Rams. <laughs> she did two trips in a row. Every the, uh, the whole family of probably what? I don't know. We're in the teens at oh, least. Tips. Oh, it's got to be close absolutely. to 20. It's got to be close to 20, I would think. Yeah. 16, 18, something like that. Yeah. And then not only just the, you know, Disneyland, but we also go to a Rams game and it all started out me just saying, Hey grandma or her saying, I'd like to go back to Frisco again. And I'm like, can we go to a Rams San Francisco game? And they were sold out, but the Rams at home games weren't, but I remember her after she got the inheritance and everything, you know, and, and she loved it. She absolutely loved the feeling of being able to do stuff for people. And, and that was like her joy in life. Yeah, but grandma. Then, grandma had an the, interesting way like that. She she'd sit back well, and peacefully watch everybody else enjoy themselves, and she would just sort of, I don't eat know, eat it up, eat that up. I mean, yeah. I feel like as a parent, you could totally relate to that now, like doing something for your kid or whatever, your grandkids or whatever, right. and being able to just watch them enjoy it. But the danger in that then is, you know, doing that for a while and other, and I'll say enabling for others, and leave it at that. But um. You know, when when she's looking and going, man, I was so stupid for, you know, spending this amount of money. And now I'm, you know, and you start noticing, you're like, ah, this ain't good. You know, you shouldn't be even paying for anybody to eat right now. So I never want to be like that in that situation. Um, and then there's other situations, you know, probably drug related and stuff. So I get real hypersensitive on shit. And, and, you know, to the point I'm like, we just got to pay this and knock this out. And, you know, we're financially, we are sitting better than we ever have. But it's not like I want to be rich. I just want to make sure we're good to go and still be able to enjoy life. But that's kind of something that, that failure is like, or my fear in life. Nice. And Arizona drivers suck. <laughs> Do you fear well, for your life every time you get on the road? Oh my I've heard shit. that, that people drive crazy down there. No, it's, it's the fucking Wild West down here because... It's like the roads are still real wide down here, but they forget there's like three million people here, and they just f fucking left turn right when between two cars, you know, a six foot separation, and it is crazy, man. I'm like, god damn. <laughs> um, okay, one last question. 
Um, what lessons from your childhood most influenced your parenting? Like, do you feel like you carry stuff with you that now Maddie's got to kind of like hear over and over and over? A hundred percent. She feels, so here's the thing about parenting is it's the ultimate hypocrisy in life and should be. So, you know, I'll, I'll sit there and be like, Hey, you gotta jump on your homework, knock that shit out. Well, man, I dropped out at junior year and got my, (laughs) now, Everybody will provide an excuse of, well, you had a lot of distractions going on. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I also like just going and playing basketball. So, you know, there's, I will be like, hey, did you knock out your homework or we, you know, in the past. Now she's, she's at the home stretch right now. She's junior, you know, and she's on pace to graduate. So I'm like, whatever, figure that shit out. You know, it's on you now. Um, but there's other stuff, you know, where we've talked and, um, I don't know where, especially growing up, you know, you sit there and tell everybody you got to be nice. You got to be friendly. Meanwhile, I'm like, the fuck is wrong with you preheating that oven that long, Chris? (laughs) Just following the instructions, Danny. That's all. Just following the instructions. That goes back to Danny and I living together. And yeah, Carissa was preheating the oven for a Papa Murphy's pizza. In Danny's estimation, it was perfectly sufficiently heated and ready for that pizza. I think he was hearing the the change just go right out of his pocket with the electricity bill. No, you're 100%. Here's here's the thing that both both you guys forget. So that was the, the, um, remember that was a snowstorm. It was like we were all locked in after me and you guys picked me yeah, and right. Jared almost drove my Jetta into the apartment sign. Yeah, like I damn near took bl- out the sign of the apartment sign. complex coming in hot. So I'm working with the hangover. I get up the next morning. You guys are all in a good mood out there. And I'm like, Ugh. and, uh, <laughs> like, and we, and we got you, we got a pizza preheating. If you want some of it, I'm like, yeah, okay. And you guys were probably watching some stupid ass, the Hills or some bullshit, Lagoon beach, whatever, whatever shit MTV show. You know anyway. It. So I go back into my room and I'm like laying there and I'm like, man, that pizza, it's, it's like an hour later. I'm like, this pizza has got to be about done. I come back. The damn crust is rising, sitting on the countertop. I'm like, what are we doing? I'm like, seriously, like just preheating for an hour or what? And yeah, you're right, Carissa. I was sitting there (laughs) aside aside from the hangover, the hunger and your guys' laughter. I'm like, come on, man, money's draining here. So (laughs) where's my pizza? All right. So, so as we've heard. Danny is always happy to give a good piece of his opinion or his brain when necessary. And I love how you can rant on things. It's why I love traveling with you. We've gone so many places together. Danny and I have seen a lot of the country together, and he's a blast to travel with because, A, you mention anything anywhere, and he's down. He'll roll. He'll just, we'll just go. But, B, Danny and I are both chatterboxes, and we can flood a car with talk when we're driving down the road we can we drove six hours through the desert and it went by so quick because we just talk about whatever and danny never tells me to shut up you know that's a weird thing is a lot of people i can kind of feel it when i'm just chatterboxing away and i can kind of feel that whole damn (laughs) jared take a breath you know (laughs) i know i'm aware of that but danny and i just talk and we just spout at whatever and it's awesome and we roll and i appreciate that so much because why not? What else are you going to do? Just sit out and look no. out the window quietly. <laughs> and last trip, Danny had to sit there and look away as I peed in a bottle for the first time in years on a, the L.A. freeway. Oh, God. Yeah, man, right in the middle of L.A. traffic, just trying to hide all- it. And thank God I don't have a lot to hide. 
it was all good until you start shirt off and i'm like what are you doing you got to get naked for this or what? <laughs> it's that old thing when you're when you're trying to be inconspicuous but you look way obvious and you're just standing out way more than you ever would if you would have just been normal about it i was i'm like bro i ain't looking but you go throw that shirt on if you want <laughs> so so with that said i think we can say thank you i think you've Definitely given us more than we've asked for, Dan. You've been an amazing guest, and you've been awesome addition to the House of Hanno podcast. So, again, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Nothing but love. Yep, nothing no, but love. thank you, guys. Hey, and Carissa, you know I'm just messing with you with the preheating. And I do, I know. There it is. So, when we talk about lucky, success, whatever, I do admire you guys. I think you guys have been great for however long you've been together, a million years. And, uh, you guys make an awesome couple. And when me and Trina talk about like marriages and stuff, I think it's, you guys are right there to where I'm like, that's pretty cool. Find so. you a girl whose name starts with a K and you'll be okay too. All right. <laughs> yeah. <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, Dan, I love you, man. You're awesome. Yeah. Thank you for taking your time to do this. And we appreciate you, dude. Uh, thanks for not dogging me out from last week. I still feel like shit, but I'm good to go. No, that's that just adds to the character. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. Hey, tell tell Maddie, like I said, good job. That singing was really good, dude. All right. Hey, tell Tommy when you see him that the Eagles still only have one ring. It's all going to change this year, Buffaloes. This is our year. I'll just stop now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. Love Bye. you. Bye. That was our interview with Danny Masher. Can't thank him enough for his time and telling us a bit of his story. There is so much more to his story. Fascinating person, and I'm proud to be his cousin. Danny, I love you. Thank you very much. Um, find us on Instagram. We are house underscore of underscore Hanno. Email us, houseofhanno at gmail.com. And you can find us on Spotify under House of Hanno Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and here is this week's Song of the Week. You know a dream is like a river, ever-changing as it flows, and the dreamer's just a vessel that must follow where it goes, trying to learn from what's behind you, never knowing what's in store makes each day a constant battle just to stay between the shores. And I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry Like a bird upon the wind These waters are my sky I'll never reach my destination If I never try So I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry too many times we stand beside you and let the water slip away till we put off till tomorrow has now become today so don't you stand there on the shoreline and say you're satisfied choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide now we'll sail my vessel till the river runs dry like a bird upon the wind these waters are my sky i'll never reach my destination 
If I never try, so I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. There's bound to be rough waters, and I know I'll take some falls. But with the good Lord as my captain, I can make it through them all. And I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Like a bird upon the wind, these waters are my sky. I'll never reach my destination if I never try. So I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Yes, I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Till the river runs dry.